live from the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. If it is true, and I'm going to choose to believe it's true, they should be ashamed of themselves because not only was what Kevin said in the Oriole notes that night, but it was on a graphic, which means that it was planned. So if you're going to be so thin-skinned to suspend Kevin Brown, then you have to suspend the entire Oriole truck, the producer, director, graphics. You have to suspend all of them because they're all complicit in this. And if John Angelos didn't like that, that he's thin-skinned, he's unreasonable, and he should actually get a call from Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, because it's unconscionable that you would actually suspend a really good broadcaster for no reason whatsoever. He didn't do anything wrong. And you know that music that starts playing in the cut that you played, Peter? That means a graphic has come up. So the graphic had already been printed out, and you said this earlier. This is not how it works. Kevin Brown doesn't say it, and somebody who's running graphics in the truck could put together a graphic in two seconds. That's that's put together an hour before that happens. And you're going to suspend this guy for saying that, which wasn't even negative. Again, then everybody in the Oriole PR department has to be suspended. It was in their notes. That very thing was in their notes. This makes the Orioles look so small and insignificant and minor league. And, of course, they don't comment on personnel matters. And they didn't say they fired the guy. They suspended him. But can you imagine how that guy must feel? He has to keep his mouth shut. He can't criticize the Orioles because they don't get fired. So, of course, we look forward to Kevin coming back. But you embarrassed the guy for no reason. And, most importantly, you embarrassed yourself. What you did is disgraceful to the business. Disgraceful. And that's a New York rant, Bob. That is a New York rant. You're right. Except that that type of rant was occurring all over Major League Baseball over the last 24 to 48 hours. And we talked about it um, on the show yesterday. And again, I always caution when we talk about media stories, because I know they're of more interest to you and to me than maybe they are to the casual fan. But in this case, it does impact the fans viewing of a baseball game and how they consume the baseball game. Kevin Brown is one of the announcers for the Baltimore Orioles. You should know the story by now. He came on the air in their open when they were in uh, Tampa, talked about the lack of success that the Orioles have had in the past at Tropicana Field, 0-15-1 in their last 16 series there. And he actually started the whole discussion by saying something extremely positive for the Orioles. And that is that the Orioles have a chance to do something special today, which would have been win a series in Tampa, which, in fact, is what they wound up doing. They've been winning just about every series, quite frankly. Um, And everybody has come out anti-Orioles, anti-John Angelos, who's the owner of the Baltimore Orioles, for their thin-skinned nature in suspending Kevin Brown for the data that he basically regurgitated on the air. That was Michael Kay, the Yankee broadcaster on one of the talk shows in New York, but he is one of the Yankee broadcasters. I saw Gary Cohen did the same thing during a Mets telecast. Uh, Jason Benetti uh, was another one that I saw that did it during a White Sox telecast. I saw Tom McCarthy had a tweet, one of the Phillies broadcasters about So everybody's come to Kevin Brown's defense in this thing. Look, 
Kevin Brown, hey, here's, here's what's going to happen. It's a shame it had to happen this way. And I don't think Kevin Brown wants to go anywhere. I think he loves his job. I think he loves being in Baltimore. He's done other work for ESPN. Even some of the ESPN uh, people were coming out and, and backing him. And this is a Baltimore Orioles uh, Masson thing more, more than anything. Kevin Brown's going to be fine here, right? Uh, if the Orioles don't want him, there are 29 other teams in baseball that will, will certainly take him because they know what a, an upstanding guy he is, what a solid broadcaster he is, and they know he didn't do anything wrong in this situation. See, to, to me, I, I hear what you guys are saying. I actually think you guys are too close to the press where you actually think this is one of those situations where you guys care but nobody else cares. Here, to me, is the story. You're right. He's going to be fine. The story is why is a team, a, a big a big team in the league throughout throughout the history of Major League Baseball acting this way. I, I, I think back to the Memphis Grizzlies and that swagger that they had when they came out uh, last year thinking they were going to win everything, or even the women's national team and all this other stuff. This is that times 20. This is a team that should be should have so like a chip on their shoulder in the way of like showing people who they are what they are they act like they've never been there before with this move to me the actual story is the Orioles and what they were thinking not the announcer well you're heading in the direction that I was going to follow up with on that and you're right on it and that is they don't know how to win not the players not the manager they get it. They're winning at a, at a record pace, as a matter of fact. But this franchise has not won in a long time. I mean, they won last year, uh, and, and this year they're doing, you know, obviously even better. But they don't know. They're, they can't act like they've been there before because it's been so long since they've really been in this position that they don't know how to act. And, and all of a sudden they see all these eyes on them and all these ears are tuned in, and they don't know how to act. But- in this situation. Bob, Bob, you you are way more of a baseball guy than me, but dude, I grew up Camden Yards, Cal Ripken, Brady Anderson. This is a this is a legacy team and for them to act like that is just it's crazy to me. It doesn't make it sense. It is, but but that was Peter Angelos who ran that team for years and years, not John Angelos who's running that team now and they had, you know, they had lots of lean years here in the 2000s until they got to last year. Um, and, and started to win again. And I, I as a point in case, case in point, was yesterday's scenario. And I brought it up, and that was just another example of it. Now, it worked out fine, right? But when the Orioles were having those losing seasons, and we were airing their games, we used to chide Mitchell Bradley all the time about that. Like, why'd you pick up the Orioles? They're in last place. They're, they're losing 100 games. Well, look at him now. Mitchell was just a little ahead of his time. He was ahead of the curve on that one. But I could have had... Pretty much any Oriole broadcaster, reporter, correspondent on the air, and nobody would say another word about it, right? So this Kevin Brown thing is happening, and yesterday, even before I knew much about it, I asked my good friend Steve Molesky from Masson Sports and the Oriole Radio Network to come on and talk Oriole baseball. It was going to be all warm and fuzzy. It was going to be all positive stuff, and and it was on the air. But Steve's response was, well, things have changed in Baltimore, Bobby, and you actually need to formally put in a request for me to go on your talk show tomorrow, today, whenever, yesterday, which we have never had to do before, not once, not ever have I had to go through a Baltimore PR person for Steve to have the ability to come on with me? So that changed. And I assume that has changed because of the situation they are in, which is winning. 
right now. And that worked out fine. Their PR people were great. They um, responded immediately, said, absolutely, go ahead and have him on. So that was fine, but it was a channel that we had to go through that had never been there before. I got a question, and I really, this is not, you know, ESPN Richmond throwing throwing the Orioles under the bus. But Why not? I, Everybody else has. I don't know, man. I don't. I'm not going there as much as I'm asking. I mean, has any team ever done something so classless, so weak? Like this is this was weak. This this looks horrible. We were talking about Ron Rivera and what he did looks bad. This looks horrible. This looks like they're afraid and they're not going to win. What is this? They, I've never seen somebody do this. And, and and somebody should have been smart enough to say that to John Angelos or whoever made the decision. It may not have been him that made the decision, but somebody pretty high up made the decision. Somebody should have said, wait a minute, do we not care how this is going to look? I understand you're mad at the guy. You're upset at him because he gave data that is negative to make his point about something that's positive. I So let's Keep the emotional side of it in there. But, hey, do you understand how this is going to look? Now, he might have just said, I don't care how this is going to look. Do it. That's that's very possible. There have been other owners that have done things like that. But somebody should have tried to cut it off at the path there. That's not how production works, man. Like, I do something that Robert, you know, told me not to do or whatever. Robert gives me strict notes, all that other stuff. I got Like, uh, us starting the show with a certain clip. You veto me all the time. Like, they, I just... I'll tell you like this, worse than what what the announcer did, the person who made the decision to, and anyone involved, should be suspended for a year or fired. <laughs> like, this is ugly. This the is person who ugly. did the suspending of the person who got suspended should be suspended. Well, is that what maybe, you're maybe that maybe he, maybe that wasn't him, and maybe I, it, someone here, someone. Someone is making a stupid call, and I think another person is covering their butt instead of standing up to that person. Whoever it is, they need to be fired. This is the weakest move I have ever seen in sports, period. Now, now, AJ, come on. Let's not go that far. Weak. Outside of Beltran watching the baseball go by in the... (laughs) I agree with weak. And and as Michael K pointed out and several of us had and 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 we did on this show yesterday and my son Will did in his text and his DM to me as well and but Michael K you know certainly verbalized it and you heard it in the open a lot of people were responsible yeah. for that open and the content that was on that open to include the person that typed up the graphic the person who researched the graphic the PR person who put that information in the Orioles game notes which you know should be all positive according to the Orioles and and see in my opinion of this is it's a negative that turns into a positive and those are some of my favorite notes that I use all the time in my broadcast I'm not picking at these guys I'm not trying to call out their their fallacies and their negativity if they're you know oh for their last 15 field goal attempts in basketball when they go on a run and make eight in a row it adds to the positiveness of that to say, yeah. look, they were in a bad spot, and look how they got themselves out of it. Everybody goes through slumps and bad spots. Every team does. Every individual does. My, my sniff test is it's not an Orioles organization issue. It is one executive producer who controls a lot of the truck and everything making a dumb decision and somebody above him backing the play and them not thinking it was going to be a big deal because they're both idiots. Wait a minute. So you're saying you wouldn't have put the graphic up at all? I, well, let me tell you something. If I put up any type of graphic or send Lou or email Robert or, or you and Matt something and you guys do something, I take the hit for it. 
I take the matter of fact, something happened yesterday. It was real minor. Nobody noticed. But I was ready to take the hit for that. Well, it, I appreciate that. But there was nothing wrong with the graphic. Let me put it to you that way. No, I know. That, that graphic made perfect sense. To, and we got to move on. And, and again, like I said, everybody's on the same side on this one, except the except the Orioles. So it's almost a moot point. He'll be back. He'll be back on the air. When the season ends, he's going to get 29 calls from 29 major league teams. Hey, if you want to come join us, we got a spot for you. I, I think Kevin Brown's going to be total, totally fine in this. And the Orioles have, have kind of taken the hit. Uh, for this so all right let, let, let's move on because it, we've all kind of set our piece on this one and, and two new yorkers ranted and, yeah and let, let, wait a minute what oh because michael k and you i got you i got you but but it wasn't like i said it just wasn't michael k it was literally everybody through major league baseball yesterday that had an opportunity to voice their concern and their opinion about what went down in baltimore and look the the, the spotlight should be on the orioles right now on the field and they're playing one of the biggest series of the year, and it will be a shame. I don't know if um, if if Kevin Brown is back for these games or not, but it would be a shame if he's not because this is probably their biggest series of the year to date as they host the Houston Astros, the defending World Series champs, making another run in the American League West. The Orioles in first place. They actually have a better record than the Astros. And the big bad Astros are coming to town. Kevin Brown should be on the call in the booth with Jim Palmer, uh, with Ben McDonald, with whomever else they're they're doing the game. And that would be the crying shame if he misses out on these games this week between the Astros and the Orioles. All right, five fifteen. Here we go on the uh, last forty five minutes of the Rapid Fire Tuesday Sports Huddle. These are this afternoon's top sports stories. I'm sure you'll be fascinated by all the uh, stories you have to tell. This is today's Drive Home Headlines. Drive Home Headlines brought to you by James River Air. If you're not confident in your heating and cooling provider, switch to James River Air. You can save up to 30%. Check them out online at jamesriverair.com. We have gone an hour and 15 minutes, and we really haven't gotten into conference realignment today there hasn't really been a whole lot on the headline uh, trail on this topic other than we know the acc is talking amongst itself amongst its presidents and athletic directors about what may or may not be the positives and negatives of potentially talking to stanford and cal about joining the acc would they have to change the name if that happened i guess not i mean you know the big 12 doesn't change the name even though they have 18 teams now the big 10 doesn't change their name i guess if the atlantic coast conference has teams on the pacific coast you can still be called the atlantic coast conference i don't think it's gonna at the end of the day benefit them to add those two teams i I just don't think the needle moves enough um in the tv world in the financial world in the rivalry world when we get back to that in the benefit of the athletes i just don't i don't think it does but it doesn't hurt to do the due diligence moving forward because the acc can't stand pat it has to make sure it's proactive here as other conferences are making moves. So we'll talk with Mike Barber about all of that at 530 from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, who covers the ACC and Virginia Tech um, for Richmond.com and the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He joins us in a little bit less than 
and 15 minutes. And after the break, I do want to get back to the story about the transfers being denied immediate eligibility because they are on their multiple transfer at this point. And when I think that's a good thing and when I think it's probably not such a good thing, and it is a case-by-case thing. But as I said earlier, for the most part, I'm on the NCA side in this one. I think they need to do something to cut back on the ease of transferring, the ease of movement by athletes uh, that has really run amok over the last five years or so in NCAA athletics, not just football, but in, in basketball and other sports as well. 804-327-0888. It's the Sports Huddle, Tuesday afternoon on 106.1 ESPN. Please continue to listen until we give you the all-clear sign. Your cooperation is appreciated. Here on your home for sports in Richmond, 106.1 ESPN. get into this um, transfer portal NCAA approving denying immediate eligibility on multiple transfers case Um, and as I warned you I am going to be a little bit more establishment than Matt was or many of you probably are and or your producer okay now to start I'm going to go back to the NCAA guideline that was uh, adopted and approved this offseason, and, and I would argue that most of us along the way before these individual cases hit home at North Carolina and Florida State said, yeah, there probably needs to be something needs to be done. It's, it's too much movement at this point. I thought that, and I think a lot of other people in college athletics and fans thought the same thing because I think we were worried that fans just couldn't grab onto their their alma maters, their teams as much anymore because the rosters were in constant flux and, and changing. So back in January, the NCAA Division One Council updated the guidelines for undergraduates, and that's different than graduates. We'll get into that. Hoping to transfer a second, third, or fourth time and compete immediately. And it now read, each waiver request will be evaluated on a case-by-case basis, but moving forward, student-athletes must meet one of the following criteria to be granted a waiver to compete immediately. One, a demonstrated physical injury or illness or mental health condition that necessitated the student's transfer. Supporting documentation, care plans, and proximity of the student support system will be considered. Or number two, exigent circumstances that clearly necessitate a student-athlete's immediate departure from the previous school, physical assault, abuse, sexual assault, etc., unrelated to the student-athlete's athletics participation. And all other guidelines will no longer be used for waiver requests to compete during championships beginning in 2023-2024. The council agreed that athletic reasons, lack of playing time, position presence, and academic preferences should not warrant waiver release. All right, that's a lot of legalese in there, but... The bottom line is it was trying to help eliminate the three, four-time transfer deal and just hopscotching from one team to another, one school to another, year after year after year, and I am absolutely in favor of that. And look, this is not saying the guy will or gal will never play again. All it's saying is that he has to sit out a year before he can play. Now, I get it. A lot of these guys think they're going to the NFL, they're going to the NBA right away, and they got to get there as quick 
as possible. Well, two thoughts. I have always been of the belief that a year without playing, practicing, getting acclimated to your school will do you the world of good. And number two, if you're really that good, you're still practicing. You still can get tape out there. Scouts can still see you, even if they don't see you in a game. Is it harder? Yes, it's harder. But sometimes you just not got to stand pat and stay where you are and, and deal with it. And, again, I do think there are extenuating circumstances. That's the word I would have used. AJ, I actually had to Google this. I'm going to admit it. I'm not that smart. Exigent was the word they used. And I pretty much had an idea of what it meant, but I'm not sure I've ever uttered that word on this show or in my life. Exigent. I'm a writer. You would have stumped me on that one. Pressing or demanding. I I, I did. I had to look it up. That's the word. Um, Requiring immediate aid or action. Um, And and I say that because it does make some sense in the two cases that we were talking about. And, And look, both of them used ailing family members as the reason they wanted to get closer to home. And I get that. And I, I don't disbelieve them at all um, whatsoever. And you want those family members, a mom in one case, a grandmom in the other, for whatever time they may or may not have left, to be able to see their son or grandson play. I, I absolutely get that. I don't want to be you know that brokenhearted, um, that, that cruel, that I'm not saying they can't do that. But I think every student athlete would use that yeah, moving forward. Yeah. To, I don't agree with you, but to back you, you aren't wrong with what you're saying. Right. I, I just do. And I, and I don't disbelieve either one of them. However, I will say that the guidelines don't speak to that, that that is not necessarily a criteria for allowing you to come play right away. Like one of these headlines I saw in the North Carolina paper in the News and Observer says, NCAA says Tez Walker can't play football for UNC. That's not true. He can play football for UNC. It's just going to be next year. And he can practice all this year. And he can be a part of the North Carolina community and the culture. And he probably could still be drafted if he's really that good. Because trust me, the scouts will know how good he is. They'll come watch him at practice and they'll see it. And so there were two of them. There was one at Florida State and one at Carolina. And as I said, they're taking it on a case-by-case basis. And here's the reason I do think the North Carolina kid should play, because I do think this is a factor. So he had bounced around. All right, Tez Walker is his name, and he's a Charlotte native. All right, so he originally committed to East Tennessee State, had a leg injury, and the school deferred his enrollment for a year. But he chose instead of waiting, to go to North Carolina Central, which is a D2 school, in 2020. Their season got canceled because of the pandemic. He got that year back. The NCAA gave them that year of eligibility back. His choice, he chose to transfer now to Kent State. Now, he still hasn't played a down of football, and he's transferred twice already. Had two really good years at Kent State, was all Mid-American Conference last year, 11 touchdowns, almost 1,000 yards receiving. He leaves to go to North Carolina, and in the waiver, so that he could play immediately, not have to sit a year, uh, he, he says that he has an, an ill family member. It's his grandmother uh, who helped bring him up, and, I, and he wanted her to be able to see him play. At, I, I get it. I, I feel for him. I really do. But here's the reason I would allow him to play. Kent State's head coach left at the end of the season. Kent State's offensive coordinator left at the end of the season. Kent State's wide receivers coach 
left at the end of the season. To me, those are legitimate reasons for a player to be able to leave and play immediately. Those are the people that brought him to Kent State. And I do believe as coaches leave, players should have some window of opportunity to leave as well. So in that case, I do think they're and they're they're appealing it that that Carolina may may win that one out um, before all is said and done. I'll do this real quick. I know we got to get to Mike Barber. He's coming up. I got you. Um, the the other one I want to get to is the the Florida State kid, and I, I'll wait. I'll put it on the other side, and we'll finish up with that. So I don't uh, I don't rush right through this. Mike Barber's coming up. We're going to talk primarily realignment with him and where the ACC figures in all of this. So I'm going to put a pause on the uh, transfer conversation, and we'll pick it back up either later this afternoon or certainly have some time for it tomorrow. Mike Barber from the Richmond Times Dispatch next on the Sports Huddle. Of the year, you guessed it, came from the Braves. That means you heard it here, the exclusive home for the Atlanta Braves in the capital city. 1061 ESPN, Richmond. Just on the other side of 530, welcome back. Bob Black back with the Sports Huddle continues on a Tuesday afternoon, 1061 ESPN. Let's talk some college football here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And for that, we bring on Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, richmond.com. Looks like Mike has just wrapped up the session of media day in Blacksburg with the Virginia Tech Hokies, so our timing is really good. Is that accurate, Mike, and how are you? I'm excellent, thank you. That's correct. I'm, I'm on the drive home. All right, two hands on the wheel, and pay attention to the road as you chat with us. I know you can you can multitask, and, and you'll be safe doing it. So um, I see one quote on your Twitter feed that immediately struck me, and I wonder if you can kind of you know wrap your head around this a little for us. Brent Pry says, it was too acceptable to lose when we got here. That's a culture that we're changing. Are you seeing that culture change in the early going of Brent Pry's second year? I think you're seeing, Bob, the, the effort to change it, right? I, I think until, until you get out there and you win games uh, or you lose games and then show the way you come back from that, uh, it's hard to evaluate success or failure. But I think you're seeing a, a very conscious effort um, to create competition in drills, in practices, uh, in every situation, and to make it so that losing in those competitions – uh, is unacceptable, and, and that the goal is victory. And, and, you know, it's interesting to hear a coach really kind of bash the previous regime and, and culture. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes guys try to take the high road, uh, but certainly the proof was in the pudding uh, with the previous regime as well. That quote certainly struck me, and what Brent Price said is it's about creating competition and creating that mentality in practice, in drills, and in everything they're doing as they get ready for the season. So when the the competition isn't inter-squad and when there's a competitor on the other sideline, what has to happen with this Virginia Tech team to be successful in those competitions? Where does that have to start on game day? Yeah, there's a number of spots. And I I think number one, uh, for me, it's going to start offensively. And and it's not about putting up a ton of points, although I do think they've improved their roster. I think they've got a lot more skill uh, at the skill positions uh, to compete this year. But to me, it's about possessing the football. It's about cutting down on turnovers. It's about being able to run the football. 
It's about being able to give your defense a break. Bob, I thought their defense was pretty darn good last year, and I thought it wore down a lot in fourth quarters of games because the offense, not only was it not scoring, but it wasn't holding on to the football, and it wasn't giving the defense, which wasn't very deep, a chance to rest. So to me, it starts with the offense. You don't have to be world beaters. You don't have to score 35 points a game. But can you hold on to the ball and give your defense a fighting chance? And I guess we've asked this question over and over again, and we'll continue to ask it until we see it on the field. Who is the quarterback going to be, and is that a plural? Are there going to be quarterbacks? (laughs) Well, I think the the more I listen to Tyler Bowen and Brent Price speak, I think there's going to be a package uh, for Kieran Drones, the the transfer from Baylor. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly it's still a competition. They need both of those guys ready. I think Grant Wells is going to get a second year in the offense. Uh, He should be more comfortable, um, better understanding. Tyler Bowen moving over to coach the quarterbacks uh, in addition to being the the play caller. They feel like there's a better chemistry and communication there. Um, So I think Grant Wells is going to be your, what everybody calls, QB1. But I think Drones, the transfer from Baylor, there's going to be a package. and, And I don't think it's going to be Wells isn't looking good. I think it's going to be, hey, you know, once a once a quarter maybe, they're going to go and give him a drive just to give defenses a different look. Mm-hmm. Maybe predetermined when he's going to come in the game, as you said, no matter what had happened in the previous in the previous drives. That, that'll be interesting to watch. How, how important is the start of this schedule for Virginia Tech? And by that, I pretty much mean the first game, Mike. Look, we went through the Brent Pry comment from Media Day that, you know, we know who the flagship program is in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We went through all of the bulletin board material there. But here comes another state team that beat them last year in Norfolk. Um, Got to be a little edginess. Won't there be at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg on that night on September 2nd? I mean, I would think so. I would think that uh, before Brent Pry's comments, um, that edginess was mostly in the Hokies locker room, right? Bo mm-hmm. Dominion beat them. Um, you know, Ricky Ronnie is, is close friends with Brent Pry, and here's Brent Pry's first game as Tech's coach, uh, and Old Dominion beats them. So there you've got Virginia Tech with this edge, with this chip on their shoulder. Um, and then Brent Pry makes those comments, which he has every right to make, and I think Virginia Tech is the premier football program in the Commonwealth, depending on how you parse things. But mm-hmm. um, you say that, and now it's bulletin board material, and now maybe Old Dominion's got a little of that edge back, and um, you know people acting like last year was some kind of a fluke. And um, but I think you're absolutely right to say that if you're Virginia Tech and you're going to get to six wins this year and make a bowl game and show real forward progress, it's got to start with a victory at home against ODU, followed by Purdue at home, and then at Rutgers and at Marshall. You would think they'd have to do some damage at the start before they really get into the meat of ACC play with uh, with Pitt and Florida State and beyond that. So let me let me transition a little bit. Um, here, Mike, and again, talking with Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, richmond.com, and as I do, you can follow him on Twitter, at RTD underscore Mike Barber, and I pull this quote as well as I transition into the topic of conference realignment, and Brent Pry says today, I'm a big believer, a big fan of the ACC and what we offer. I believe in Virginia Tech, how we're represented, how we're seen. Uh, from the recent news of conference realignment, where does the ACC fit into this, and, and why do you think – at this point in time, they're even talking about schools like Cal and Stanford to join the ACC. It's such an interesting debate when you think about the West Coast. And, you know, Brent Price's comments were basically a precursor to saying, hey, don't ask me about this. I'm, I'm not going to go into a, a debate about 
what we should do that that's above my pay grade. Um, because I, I think there's a lot of coaches that I'm curious, and most of them haven't been willing to share. I talked to Tony Elliott at UVA uh, yesterday, and he also wouldn't answer the question of just what do you think about going across the country for a conference game. But the reason that, that those schools are appealing to athletic directors has to do with the TV contract, right? You're going to get mm-hmm. more inventory. You're going to get a West Coast TV market. And you're going to get inventory that you can put on the air in the evening slots, right? I always laugh when they talk about East Coast bias for sports writers. If anything, I've got a West Coast bias because I work all day and I come home and, and what do I watch? I watch, you know, Peck or now after dark or whatever they have left. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I think part of it from the AD standpoint is, hey, you can get these games, additional games for football and basketball that will play in the night slots for the ACC network, for your ESPN partner. Uh, there's a value there. If you're trying to sell it to the presidents, you're saying, hey, Cal and Stanford, those are pretty good schools. Right? I mean, you know, I, I went to Rutgers, and then I remember thinking, like, wow, those are like two of the elite schools on, on the West Coast. I remember going out and playing a game there and telling them at Cal Berkeley, you know, what, what an amazing school we all thought it was. And, of course, all the students there are like, ah, whatever. But, <laughs> um, you know, if you're the president, that's the pitch. You've got these academically prestigious schools that you could potentially uh, add to the conference. Now, there's a million drawbacks. Travel, the amount of time, the wear and tear on student-athletes, uh, the fact that there's no geographical rivalries, the fact that recruiting is totally different. And there's so many things that doesn't make sense. Um, the way I'll characterize it, I'd say the ACC is in an exploratory phase. The problem, Bob, is these things happen in hours instead of months or, ye- or years. So you go into the exploratory phase, you may have to make a decision here in the next 24 to 48 hours. That's just the reality of, of conference realignment. So that said, Mike, and I do want to ask you a little bit about UVA having been there yesterday, but to to wrap up a little bit for now, and this is going to be ongoing on conference realignment, are you of the belief that that while this is seismic change, the sky is not falling on college football? Well, I I do think the sky is falling in some Hmm. regards. Okay. To me, the answer is to pull football out of this deal and to let the football uh, teams and schools pair up as they see fit, negotiate the biggest contracts, bring back as much money to the institution as they can. And then from there, get back into conferences that make regional sense for all your other sports so that your field hockey team isn't flying across the country uh, to play games against athletes they don't know and, and there's no rivalry and nobody in the stands, right? I mean, how many Virginia fans are going to go out to Cal Berkeley uh, for a field hockey game? Other than family, probably no one. Um, football and money, it's too far gone to bring it back. I don't think it's going to kill the sport, uh, but the model may need a, a pretty violent shake. Not that it hasn't been shipped pretty violently here lately uh, as it is. It sure has. All right, more to come on that one for sure. Let's get back on the field to kind of finish up with you this afternoon. Mike, what did you see at UVA yesterday? You know, we talk about culture change. Tony Elliott certainly talked about that last year. They obviously have the tragedy and extenuating circumstances that they're dealing with. I mean, his comment just continues to ring into my, my ears that we're not moving on, we're moving forward. What did you see from UVA yesterday? Yeah, and, you know, a big part of what they were doing last year was laying the foundation, and it's where the criticism really falls on Tony Elliott, that he had a pretty decent team last year, but he chose to, you know, kind of strip things down to the to the bare bones and to start over. Um, and this still feels like year two of that rebuilding process. Now, what we hear from the coaches and, and what we've seen, I think, 
uh, out on the fields and in drills, there is a little more buy-in. There's a little sense of this is the way UVA does things. Whereas I think last year it was this is the way UVA is going to start doing things. And, and you were in that starting process all year, and, and you're getting beat while you're doing it. I think now there's a better sense of this is Virginia's identity, uh, this pro-style timing-based offense, going to rely on the run game. They're going to play great defense. They're going to try to possess the ball. Now, I think they have a massive talent gap still. Uh, I think they're going to finish last in the conference. I think it's going to be a struggle to win three or four games. Um, but I think they are going to look and play and feel more like the vision. And then the question is, year three, year four, does that vision equal wins? And if it does, then all of the, the growing pains here will be worth it. And if it doesn't, and we know the drill, right? Tony Elliott's going to be on one of the hottest hot seats, despite everything he's had to deal with off the field and the way he's really, by all accounts, uh, handled that pretty masterfully. Mm-hmm. Fascinating times, really, for both schools, and they kind of parallel each other with the coaching staffs and where they are in their tenures, and it'll be really intriguing to watch moving forward. It'll be more fun to watch on the field than all the conference realignment stuff, I think. Mike, thank you so much for this afternoon. Uh, glad you got a chance to see both the Cavaliers and the Hokies in the last 24 hours or so, and we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks for having me. Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, always a good read, uh, really blanketing uh, the two ACC schools, right, Virginia and Virginia Tech and Brent Pry and Tony Elliott and everything's going on with both of them. Again, Richmond.com online, Richmond Times-Dispatch, and Mike's on Twitter at RTD underscore Mike Barber. One more segment to go. We'll have it for you next on the Sports Auto 1061 ESPN. The Spiders are fresh off their first playoff berth since 2016 and hungry for more. Follow every first down, pick six, and blocked punt here on the exclusive home for the Richmond Spiders. 1061 ESPN Richmond. All right, for the record, the home TV monitor is now on on the Phillies Nats game because. The Phils rallied from a 3-0 deficit and now leads 6-3 in the bottom half of the fifth inning. So now Steve I feel Simpson with uh, Philadelphia. You have won your tickets. <laughs> Come on down. But but, but I, I held true to what I said. I wasn't going to turn it on in the first hour. And as it turned out, I didn't turn it on for the first hour and a half. Uh, but now it's on as they go to the sixth inning of game one of a doubleheader. I can always watch the second game uh, later tonight. You don't see that very often anymore in baseball. In Major League Baseball, just a good old-fashioned traditional doubleheader. No day-night split doubleheader where, you know, they get two admissions and they get all the money from both. The Phillies just made this a one admission, get to see two games, good old-fashioned two games for the price of one. So good for them. No, uh, load, and, and, no load management in baseball. Doesn't seem like at least there tonight. Hey, the Nats have been playing well. Look, you know I talk Phillies a lot. We talked to Orioles yesterday, uh, but I, I, I pick on you. So, well, we better just end the show then. Oh, we are going to end the show. I can't do any better than that. So there we go. All right, well done. Great job today, AJ. Uh, juggling a lot of different things for us. A lot of good, good hot topics today uh, on the Sports Hub. We'll do it again tomorrow. The midweek edition comes your way from 4 to 6 tomorrow afternoon. All of us will be on the air tomorrow. Jamie King with the Sports King at 7 a.m. Get your day started. Big Al with Sports Phone from 8 until 10. ESPN programming middle of the day. You got Matt Joseph with Border to Border at 3. And then I'm back with the Sports Huddle at 4. Thanks to Mike Barber from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Talk some UVA and Virginia Tech football. And we will talk much more about that when we rejoin you tomorrow afternoon. 
at 4 o'clock. Uh, six three fills in the sixth inning. Game one, the doubleheader with the Nationals. Talk to you tomorrow on 1061 ESPN. Are you ready for this? 